Grab your Bible, turn it to John chapter 13, verse 18. John 13, 18 is where you're going. It will also be on the screen. And while you are finding that, I want to just say by way of reminder and or some of you are new, you've not heard this yet, we are going through the whole gospel of John verse by verse, taking many weeks to do it. It's been awesome so far. John's a great book of the Bible. We're taking this hard look at Jesus, which is wonderful. And we're in this section of John right now uh, where Jesus has kind of zoned in with just his disciples. He's not out in the public eye anymore. He's with his disciples. They're having this really important, meaningful, deep, personal time. Jesus is at this critical stage in his life. He literally the next day is gonna go to the cross, but he's sharing these parting words with his disciples, sort of his farewell address in a manner of speaking. And so the things that he's saying are incredibly important, not just to them, guess who else they're important to? That would be us. We, we gotta pay close attention to what Jesus is sharing with us. There's so much in the next four or five chapters of this book. So we're just carving it off a little bit, a little piece at a time. And today we're in John 13, 18 through 30, which I'm gonna read for us now. Again, it's on the screen. Uh, this is where we're at today. It reads like this. By the way, it's right in the middle of a section. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He says, I've done this for you. Now you need to do it to each other. And verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here we go. But I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. We're talking about betrayal, deception, things like that. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that disciple's not explicitly named here, but traditionally we understand that to be John, the disciple who wrote this gospel of John. He's referred to as the one who Jesus loved, possibly Jesus' best earthly friend. He's sitting at the table next to Jesus. So Simon Peter motions to John, pointing at him, John, getting eye contact, kick him under the table kind of thing, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, probably John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. We're going to talk more about that verse. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast of Passover, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So obviously there are some sinister things happening, right? It's not all sunshine and roses here. We're talking about evil and, and lies and deception and betrayal at the hands of Judas. But the source of all of that evil... And, and all that's going to unfold as we get further into John. The source of all that evil that we read just in that short passage is mentioned right in there in verse 27. It says that Satan entered into Judas. Somebody say Satan. Satan. 
So a little bit of a different look than what we've done in a lot of the other messages in this series. But today, uh, we're going to largely be talking about Satan. So that's cool. Why not, right? Because here's the thing about Satan. I grew up in the church. Some of you guys grew up in the church. Some of you are newer to the church. Regardless of what your background is, I think a lot of times we make assumptions about Satan, don't we? We just assume he's this little red guy, like with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork, right? And he's on one shoulder and the angel at the halo is on the other shoulder and who do I listen to? And, and Satan, the devil, he's just this bad guy and he does mean things because I don't know, that's what I've seen on TV. Like I think, I think we just make some assumptions about him. And some of those assumptions are true. But what I want to do is look a little closer into the scriptures, into what God actually says about Satan in his word. Because this is going to help us. It's going to help us to recognize who our enemy is. So talking first about who is Satan and what does Satan do. Um, Satan, in terms of his identity and who he is, like a lot of people think, oh, well, he's the opposite of God, right? We've got God on one side of the quarter, and on the other side, it's Satan. They're just opposites. Maybe they're even equal in power, similar beings. Well, that's not, that's not the truth at all. Satan is not the opposite or the counterweight of God. Satan is actually a created being. He was actually created by God, just like everything else was. And Satan was an angel, a powerful, beautiful, mighty angel created to minister before God in God's presence, worship God in his presence. In the scriptures, it says that Satan, at some point or another, it was before I was born, that was funny, he rebelled against God. He got proud in his heart, the Bible says, and he looked at his position and God's position and says, that's where I ought to be. I ought to be worshiped. I ought to be praised. So he rebelled against God. It says that a war broke out in heaven. Satan and those loyal to him versus God and the angels loyal to him. Satan, again, he's not as powerful as God. He loses that fight. He gets defeated and he's cast out. He's cast out of heaven, cast out of God's presence. Him and those fallen angels who we would now call demons, this is what the Bible tells us, they were all cast out, out of God's presence. Not eliminated entirely, but cast out. Satan hates God. He is against God. And he hates what God makes, and he hates what God loves. So Satan is now on this project, on this mission to destroy what God has made, to ruin, to, to must things up, right? He is called in the scriptures the prince of demons, He's called the God of this world. He has many titles in the scriptures. And, and I'll pause for a second and say, you might think, well, that just sounds like a tall tale, something you know, in this old book that was made up or whatever. No, we actually believe this about Satan. Like Satan is real. Just the same as God is real, Satan is real. You, you might say, well, but, but I can't see Satan. I say, so what? You do this, I can't see him. Well, he can still see you. He, he's real, and we can see his effects, right? All this evil in the world. Like, if you believe, if you read the scriptures and believe about the scriptures, what God, or what it says about God, that he's good, that he's loving, that he is a God that cares a, about life, and he's a creator, and a sustainer, and a provider, and he is good, and does good, where's all the evil come from? It's got to come from somewhere. It wasn't God, 
And I think as well, this is part of the reason why stories of good and evil resonate so much with us, right? You, you watch any movie that's ever been made, you read most any book that's ever been written, there's at least some form of, oh, there's a good guy and a bad guy. And, and we just keep paying to watch these movies and to read these books. Why? Because that tells the story that points to the ultimate story that we're all living in. There's a good God and there's an evil Satan and we're caught in the middle of that somewhere. It's absolutely what's going in. Now, I read a, a survey, a report from a number of years ago, 10, 12 years ago. The Barna group went out and polled a bunch of people that identified as Christians. They went, hey, are you a Christian? Yep, okay, then I have a question for you. They were asking them questions about the devil, about Satan. And I don't even know what this figure would be now, but at the time, 40 like four zero, forty percent of the alleged self-described Christians that took this survey said that they didn't even believe Satan was real. So what does that say about people that aren't even Christians, right? If the Christians say that Satan isn't even real, like hello, if no one even believes in him, well now his job just gets even easier, right? Because He's flying under the radar, incognito. He can do whatever he wants and no one's even gonna suspect him because he's not even real according to us, right? But we for sure, I just wanted to declare that today. We for sure believe he's real. 100% we do. We believe what the scriptures say about him. 100% we do. To say, okay, he's real, sure. What does he do though? What's his angle? What's his bit here? I would direct you to John chapter 10, verse 10, which is on the screen. It says that the thief... That's talking about him. He's called a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Really, ultimately, if you were to sum up what he does, that's it there. Jesus is speaking. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here's God. Here's the heart of God. He's the giver of life. He's good. He wants us to have goodness and and that life in abundance. But Satan tries to ruin it, to steal it away to kill it, to wipe it out and destroy it from you entirely. That's what he's doing. He's called in another place in scripture, the deceiver. So what Satan does is he deceives us, tricks us, gets us believing lies. He's called in another place, the accuser. In other words, he's throwing the dirt in your face, right? You did something or failed to do something and he is happy to be right there to remind you of it, to put shame onto you and and to offer condemnation for that. Hey, you did this. You didn't do this. You are this. He's the accuser. He's called the father of lies in another part. He he lies. That's what he does. He's not a teller of truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that Satan, one of the things he does is he blinds the minds of unbelievers to prevent them from seeing the truth, from from believing the gospel. It says in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that he practices cunning. That means that he's tricky. He's full of tricks. He's slippery like an eel. Matthew 4.3 calls him the tempter. He will literally tempt you, put temptation in your path to throw you off. Matthew 13.38 says he's the sower of seeds, of bad seed. Right, sometimes you know how that is. A thought will enter your mind. A seed is planted in your mind. Sometimes Satan is doing that, trying to sow bad seed in you. It even says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 that he is powerful enough and capable of performing signs and wonders. Right, he's powerful. If I could sum all of that up, what is the work of Satan? Ultimately, it's this. It's to oppose 
Jesus. It's to oppose Jesus, right? We, we read it up there a minute ago. Jesus wants us to have life to the full and everything Satan does is to prevent that work that Jesus is doing. He opposes him. Sometimes the opposition that Satan pushes, it's very overt. It's very obvious. You can just look at it and see it. For instance, in our text in John 13, you can see that it says, this language of lifting his heel against. That's overt against-ness of Jesus. Verse 21, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, right? That's just overt. Something clearly anti-Jesus is happening there. In our day, there is such thing as overt opposition to Jesus. People come along and they say aggressively, the Bible's not true. God is not real. It's all a bunch of hoo-ha. It's wrong. You're dumb if you believe it. Obviously, that's anti-Jesus. Sometimes in some places of the world, there are literally laws put in place that forbid you from following Jesus. You can literally be imprisoned or killed, not because you went out and did something horrible to somebody, but because you believe in Jesus. Obviously, that is anti Jesus activity. That's opposing to him. Sometimes you see stuff that's anti-Jesus on social media, right? We've all been there. We've all seen it. And sometimes I will say this. Sometimes the opposition to Jesus is blatant in our own lives. Not you lovely people. But sometimes in our lives, right, we just come into these places of just flagrant, blatant sin, we just are clearly doing something wrong, sinful, dumb, stupid, harmful. That's overt opposition to Jesus in a manner of speaking. Sometimes we're so deeply selfish, like that's opposing to the work Jesus wants to do in your life. Sometimes your pride, we well up so strongly with pride, blatantly, that, that, is, that is opposite, that is against opposing to Jesus. Is it making sense so far? Are you with me so far? Sometimes the opposition to Jesus is a little more subtle. It's unseen. You don't necessarily see it or notice it or suspect it. For instance, in this text, in verse 28, it says nobody at the table knew what was going on. Judas was up to this deceptive, sinister stuff, and, and nobody really knew. In our day, there's all kinds of subtle opposition to Jesus. For instance, someone might get mad with me saying this. I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. That's really the story with other religions, People say, well, I don't know, other religions, don't they all say the same thing? Aren't they all sort of kind of about God a little bit? D don't they all promote goodwill and for us to be good people? Like, I don't know, they all sound the same to me. All paths, all religions lead to heaven. Well, that's actually not true at all. Yeah, they might have something to do with a God. It's just a different God than what's in here, right? So, so oh, if you, if you take on that logic of I can just subscribe or adhere to whatever religion I want, well, that's not going to lead you closer to Jesus is what I'm saying. Um, there's this sentiment in our day of you just go out and live your truth, right? That sounds really nice, doesn't it? I can go out and whatever I strongly believe in and what I think I should do and the kind of person I want to be and the way I feel, I can just live in accordance with that. Like that sounds great. But the problem is that's not going to lead you closer to Jesus either, that's just this subtle, worldly opposition to Jesus. The, the world will also say, hey, you're a good person. And we hear that and we go, yeah, I am a good person, aren't I? I think I am doing pretty good. But the problem is, that's not what the Bible says, right? I mean, I love you. I'm not insulting you. But all these things are just subtle, creeping little ways that, that we start to kind of veer off 
from the person and the work and the message of Jesus. It's subtle. It's sinister. And, and again, in our lives, this can be present. Maybe you've been in a place in your life where you're finding you're just indifferent against Jesus. Eh, I just don't really care a lot right now. I'm just kind of apathetic. Well, again, what I'm saying is that ultimately is at least somewhat the responsibility of Satan because he's trying to subtly get you off track. It's not, I'm, I'm overtly rejecting what I believe. It's just, eh, you ever been like that? Eh, about your faith? That's what that is. Sometimes in your life, you can be really distracted by things. Things get into your mind, they get onto your calendar, they get onto your agenda and you're pursuing them and all of a sudden you've left Jesus over here in the dust somewhere. Right, you see what I'm saying? That's like a subtle, sneaky, hey, I'm, it's not like I hate the Lord or I'm doing anything so bad. Yeah, but you're so busy, you forgot about him. Like that's opposition. The enemy loves to get us busy on stuff sometimes, distracted. And with regard to this subtle opposition, you say, well, I don't know, it doesn't sound that bad. I will just remind you of a place in scripture where Jesus says, anyone who is not for me is what? Against me. Like if we're not, if I'm not, if you're not in, in a place of being actively for, walking with, pursuing Jesus, like I'm saying the enemy's got his hook in there a little bit, even if it's subtle, right? Sometimes, this one's a little scary, sometimes the opposition to Jesus comes from people who look like followers of Jesus but aren't. That one kind of, not in a big way, I was gonna say it freaks me out. It more like, oh, causes me to be alert is a better way of saying it. You look at a guy like Judas. All throughout the Gospels, he's presented as one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Here's the thing. He wasn't really a true disciple. He hung around as part of the 12, but he was not someone whose heart was for Jesus. He was not truly a follower of Jesus. But to the outside world, he probably looks like one. He's hanging around with Jesus. Here's what I'll say too. Sometimes, sometimes people like that even have a title or a role in the church. Look what that says at the bottom, verse 29. Judas had the money bag. Judas actually had roles and responsibilities among that group of disciples. That was, by the way, appointed by Jesus. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew the whole time. My point is though, you can't just blindly assume, oh, well, that person is in church. That person got up and said something at church. That person, I think they're a Christian and just buy into everything that they say without testing the spirits and without checking it because it says in other places too, even like Acts 20, Paul says, wolves are gonna rise up from among you and they will not spare the flock. Like that's sobering, I know, but like we gotta be aware of that, Right? All of this, all of this that I'm talking about so far, this work of Satan, this work of the demonic, it's darkness. This opposition to Jesus, it's darkness. I, I love actually that it includes the very last words in our text in John 13, verse 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it says this, and it was night. Like he, he takes the time to mention that it was dark outside. And that just points to the fact here that all of this activity of Satan, it's darkness. It, it's not in accord with Jesus who is called in many other places the light of the world. Light and life to all he brings. We sang that like 10 times at Christmas. 
All of this activity of Satan is darkness. And I would say this, in your life, and this is not to be answered out loud or anything, but if there are areas in your life where you're acting against Jesus or you're offside with Jesus or you're misaligned somehow with Jesus, you're in darkness in that area of your life or or you're perpetuating the darkness. And that ultimately is just playing right into Satan's hand because that's what he's trying to do. That's what he is working on. And I'm saying all of that to tell you not to be scared of him, but we need to be aware of it. When we see the activity of Satan and the demonic happening, we need to be able to call it out for what it is. Hey, that right there, uh, better yet, that thing I just did, that thought I just had, that, that thing I was just doing, wow, that was not of God. Like that happens as Christians. Sometimes we do stuff or think stuff or say stuff. Wow, where'd that come from? You need to be able to understand what's from God and what's not from God, what's from the enemy. Is this making sense? We still rolling here? Is this tracking? So that's who Satan is. That's what he does. I want to specifically zone in on something. There's one particular verse in our text that I think the Lord really wants us to kind of get, get onto on this today. I want, I want you to know Satan, he is powerful. He is. I'm not pretending he's not. But Satan doesn't have all power. He doesn't have all power. I want, I want to give you one example of this. In verse 27 of our text, that's that verse I said we were going to come back to, It says that Judas, after he had taken the morsel, it says that Satan entered into him. How many of you, a little bit, you hear that, you go, that's kind of weird, right? It it is kind of, because you can look at that and say, oh, does Satan have the power to just like overtake me at any minute? I'm walking down the street doing my own thing, not really doing anything wrong, and Satan is lying in wait like in the bushes somewhere, and he's gonna jump me and just possess me or something. Like, is that what that's saying? Because I don't know if I could stop him from doing that. Like, what am I supposed, and you can, the panic builds, right? I, I wanna get some clarity on that verse. Satan is not all powerful. He is not all-seeing. He is not all-knowing. God is all of those things. Satan isn't. He has his limits. And he can't just jump onto you. Let me explain. I'll say this, though. If you're not a Christian, someone will get mad at me for saying this, too. I'm saying it anyway. If you're not a Christian, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never been born again in Jesus Christ, in a manner of speaking, Satan has kind of already overtaken you. As in, you're playing right into his hand. You're following his influence. And I don't want you to take my word for it. See what's on the screen, Ephesians. I'll just read it off of here. Ephesians chapter two, watch this. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked. That's before you were a Christian. Following the course of this world. Look at this. Following the prince of the power in the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's talking about Satan and the demonic, the darkness. We were all following that. There's no high horse here. I'm a Christian, huh? This was all of us. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What that's saying is, if you're not a Christian, you're still in darkness. Doesn't matter how nice or good of a person you are, unless you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and put your faith in Jesus Christ, Satan still has his hooks in you. Even if you don't see it or believe it or sense it, that's the truth. Nobody threw anything at me, that's good. 
Let me say this. Uh, I need a drink. Let me say this, though. I mean, most of us in the room are Christians. Satan only has the power to influence you in areas that you let him in. He's not waiting behind the bushes and he's about to take you over even though I'm walking with Jesus and I'm going close and there he is and now now I'm possessed or something. Not how it works. He has influence where we let him have influence. Because I'll say this, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, true or false. That's true. We don't always yield to the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit, but you've got the Holy Spirit. And there's a great verse, 1 John 4, 4, I think, that says, greater is he living in you. That's the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, greater is the one living in you than he who is in the world. The Holy Spirit, Satan. That's what the Bible says. So you can't just be overtaken by him. But if you leave the door open... Satan will happily walk through that gap. I'm going to tell you a story. It's a gross story. If you're squeamish about bugs in particular, I give you permission this one time only. You can block me out. But this is relevant, and I've been waiting like five years to tell it. Back when Lori and I lived in our first apartment, it was the lower level of a house, like a basement apartment, and it was fine little spot, small, whatever, but it was built right on a hill, the house was. So this part of our house over here was underground. There were no windows. But this side of the house had these you know, big picture window. It was like you were on the ground floor and, and you looked out over this way. It was great. Our bedroom was sort of here somewhere. So right at the window of our bedroom was like the ground. It was like a higher window. It was a basement window, basically, was what it was. And the outside, the ground is right there. Something rare happened. One time we lived there for like three years, and this only happened a couple of times. It got warm outside in St. John. It was like hot out, and we didn't have air conditioning or anything, so it was really warm in, in our bedroom, so we opened the window, let some cold air in. Yeah, it's, this is where you can plug your ears, squeamish people. No problem. The window's open. We went in to go to bed, I've been waiting so long to tell this. Earwigs. Obviously, there was a nest outside somewhere. Everybody hates them. They're of the devil. Anyway, we'll edit that part out. The ground was right out there. The window was open, and they started coming in. I don't even know how long they were coming in for, but there were dozens and dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of them. It was nasty. Our window was right above our bed. Some of y'all aren't coming back next week. (laughs) They're trailing down the wall. I found one on the toilet seat later. There was one on the mouth part of Lori's water bottle. It It was absolutely disgusting. It was horrible. We spent like an hour and a half like getting rid of them. We closed the window. They stopped coming in. It never happened again. Praise the Lord. That's a graphic example, though, of what happens. When you leave the window open, like, who knows what's going to come in? You know what I'm saying? You're welcome for that. I'm everybody's favorite person right now. 
Satan can and will influence you if you give him space to do it. And, you know, you look at this, you look at a guy like Judas and you go, well, I don't know, what did he ever do in this sequence? Well, if you look at the greater picture of what it says about Judas in the Gospels, he was not just some innocent bystander who Satan just jumped onto un- unawares of. It says in another place that Judas was a thief. John 12, 6 says that. He was wicked. There was no indication that he was ever a, really a true follower of Jesus. And what Judas did, and, and eventually what we're going to read is that he betrayed Jesus and sold him off to the religious authorities for 30 pieces of silver. And if you follow the track of all of that, here's Judas, this guy that, for him, it was money. He had this ungodly, unhealthy obsession with money. And that grew and grew and grew. Like when someone else did something nice for Jesus a few chapters back, he got mad, oh, And then eventually it just goes and goes and goes and he leaves the foothold a little bit open. He's got that unhealthy thing for money and Satan happily wedges himself into that crack and it grows and it grows and expands. Look what it says in uh, James 1.15. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You've got something that's not from God in here and you just let it sit there. You just don't get rid of it. You don't close the window on that. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So in other words, you've got this little thing that's not in line with God and his will and his heart and his character. You're harboring that little thing. Maybe it's like Judas, it's greed, it's money, it's possessions. Maybe for you, it's anger. Maybe for you, it's lust. Maybe for you, I don't even, I don't have to fill in the blank. You know where it is, right? If you don't do anything about that, you leave that gap open, Satan comes in and he starts to expand in there. That's the work that he does. And he's working on stealing and killing and destroying. And it brings forth death. There's no life there for us. That's not going to lead us down a healthy road that leads us closer to God. You see what I'm saying here? So when you ask the question, oh, can a Christian be possessed? That's kind of a large question. I, I, I guess I would pose an answer to you this way. I guess there's no telling what might happen to any person if you just leave the door open for Satan to, to come in and influence. But, but, but we also can choose to walk by the Spirit, right? That's what it says in, the, in, I think it's the book of Romans. Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You're struggling with something. The answer is not just bury it or just ignore it. The answer is to get closer to Jesus and to ask to be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're doing that, Satan Remember, greater is he living in you than he who is in the world. Satan can't come in and and influence that because that door is closed because the Holy Spirit is holding it so. You can choose to walk by the Spirit. You can choose to say, Lord, maybe this is you. Lord, I need help. I'm not that close to you. I'm holding on to stuff this morning and I gotta let it go. Yeah, start with that. That's a great place to start. Get into the scriptures. Get into the word. Look, we're gonna have a whole seminar on that on February the 4th. Just a little plug for you there. It's gonna be awesome. Spend time in prayer. Pursue after the Lord. You're gonna find that as you do those things, it's gonna help you in this regard. I'm not saying your life is magically gonna get better and all your problems are gonna disappear at the snap of a finger, but I'm saying that God is gonna do something in your life if you choose to walk by the Spirit. Or you can choose to not walk by the Spirit. The choice is yours. I can't make it for you. You choose to not walk by the Spirit. "Ah, I'm just doing my own thing. God, you're on the side over here. I'm telling you, you're leaving yourself vulnerable and open. You are. 
If you don't fill that space in your life, in your heart, in your soul with God and the things of God, Satan is happy to come along and fill it with something else. And who knows what happens down that road. So I don't mean to oversimplify this whole thing, but it is kind of black and white in some ways. You walk with Jesus. If it's your business to get closer to Jesus and pursue Jesus and go after him, I don't, you don't have to sit here and live in fear about, oh, what's the devil going to do to me? Because Jesus is greater. Amen? Speaking of which, that's what I'm going to talk about as we start the slow wind down here this morning. I want to highlight that, that Jesus is greater. This ultimately is the truth we need to hear. Yes, Satan is real. Satan has power. We've got to be aware of him. He doesn't have all power, though, and we don't need to fear because of Jesus. You look, that's a good place for an amen. Thank you, brother. You look at all this stuff from John chapter 13 in our text that we read just today, you can see that first of all, Jesus is in control throughout this whole thing. Yes, the devil is at work in John 13. Yes, he's up to something. Yes, he's trying to do something. But Jesus is in control through it all. Look, verse 26, he says, he, well, he identifies the one who's gonna betray him. He already knows what's gonna happen. He already is fully aware of it. He even knows who the person is totally in control. John 13, 19, he says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does, you might believe that I am he. Before he ever got betrayed, boys, I'm gonna be betrayed, just so you'll know, I'm telling the truth. Verse 27, this one's interesting for me. Satan entered into Judas after he had taken the morsel from Jesus. That isn't Jesus setting up Judas to fail. Judas has already left himself open. He's already made his choice. The prophecy has been made about him, all this. But notice that nothing can happen to Judas until it first passes through the hand of Jesus. See that? That's relevant. Your life, your situation, maybe that thing you're wrestling with, that area that you're struggling with, that sin in your life, here's what I'm saying. Yes, the devil might have his hooks into you, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is in control. You can see it right there. This is also a, a, a principle that's true of the power of God all across our lives. Watch this now. Watch this. Matthew chapter 4. If you read that, that's the temptation of Jesus. The devil is coming after him in the wilderness. What does Jesus do? He doesn't just try harder or dig in his heels more. He brings out the scriptures. He brings out the big guns right here. You know what I'm saying? He quotes the scriptures. And Satan does what? He flees. Satan literally has no answer for the word of God. When you, when you speak that and apply it in your life, he's got no, no response for it. He leaves. James 4, 7, kind of the same deal. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see that? You submit yourself to God. You get close to God. You pursue after God. And you stand firm in that faith that you have in him. Satan flees. He's got nothing on you because he's got nothing on Jesus. Ephesians 6, 11 says we can put on the armor of God, right? We can, we can clothe ourselves with the things of God so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. He's chucking stuff at you, but you can stand firm in it. 1 Peter 5, 9 says we can resist him firm in our faith. 2 Corinthians 12, this is where Paul is talking about he has this thorn in his flesh, this thing that's bugging him, this thing that's nagging him in his life. He says directly that it's a messenger from Satan sent to torment him. And he, he appeals to God about it. And God says, don't you worry about that. 
He says, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect even in your weakness, is what he says. You see that? Jesus is bigger than all this. He's in control over all of this. So if you've got a problem in your life, I don't want you to just dwell on the problem. I don't want you to just get discouraged because, oh, Satan influenced me or tricked me into doing this. I want you to focus on Jesus because he's greater. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's greater. Say it better than that. He's greater. Yes. Finally, you have to understand something about Satan. Yes, he's at work in the world. He's doing his thing, but ultimately he loses. He loses. He's done for. He's on a ticking clock. Satan loses and we win because Jesus wins. Look at this, 1 John 3, 8. The reason that Jesus, the Son of God, appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. He's one day gonna once and for all wipe him out for good. That's what the Bible says. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So yes, if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're wrestling and Satan sometimes gets his hooks into you, Jesus is going to deal with that. He is going to be crushed underfoot. You have to hold on to that hope. It's coming. Romans 8, 18, I can say that the present sufferings do not compare to the glory that will be revealed. Yes, we're bogged down in this world by sin. Yes, evil is happening all around us. But friends, because of Jesus Christ, we can look forward to a day when that is no more because Jesus is greater, because Jesus wins. Somebody amen at that point. Yes. So the response that we got to make today, it's in verse 20 of John 13 that we read. The response is to receive him. Jesus says that right in there, whoever receives me. And that's what we need to do today. You can surrender your life to Jesus or you can continue to get sucked in by Satan. You can repent of your sin to Jesus or you can regress further into the darkness by Satan. You can be forgiven of your sin by Jesus Christ. That's, that's super cool. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He's ruling and reigning. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to cleanse you. He wants that for you. You can choose that, or you can continue to get fooled by Satan. You can walk with Jesus, man, or you can get worked over by Satan. You can hold fast to Jesus, or you can get hoodwinked by Satan. You can choose to trust Jesus every moment of your life, or you can get tossed around in the waves that Satan is chucking at you. I would submit to you that a wise person would choose Jesus in all of those scenarios. And when you choose Jesus, man, you are safe and secure in his hand. Yes, the devil will throw what he'll throw at you, but you don't have to lose your hope. You don't have to lose your faith. You don't have to get discouraged or despair because Jesus is greater.